0: Today's reading comes from 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, and can be found on page 968 in the Pew Bibles. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints for I know your readiness, of which I boast about, you two people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be, be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come With me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all. I was thinking when Tim was having all of our new members stand, I don't know how you feel about standing in church. Maybe you maybe you didn't love that. I was listening, though, to another pastor, and it was a Bring Your Friend to Church Sunday, and he made all the guests stand, and then he, like, preached at them for a while. I thought, well, oh, I, I would never do that, I don't think. But uh, if you're a member... Listen, you're part of the family now. There's no hiding. You're just going to have to stand. That's just how it goes. But really glad to have uh, all of you uh, who are new members. And uh, but I'll tell you who I am going to embarrass uh, this morning uh, is Pastor Todd and Katie are with us this morning. Where are you? <laughs> back over here. They, were, they said they were going to sneak in and just kind of sit in the back and sneak out. But... Uh, some of you are newer to the church and you don't uh, know Pastor Todd and Katie, but uh, if you've been around Calvary for a while, you do. And so good to have you guys with us uh, this morning. And uh, make sure you say hi to them uh, if you get a chance. And uh, But good, I see Todd all the time because of my work with the Center for Pastoral Theologians, but you guys don't get to see him all the time. So uh, good to have you guys here. All right, so this morning, we're continuing on in our sermon series on 2 Corinthians, Yet Always Rejoicing. And for the past number of weeks, we've been focusing on a relief effort that Paul is organizing for the poor back in Jerusalem. And that's the theme of chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And our text this morning is going to cover much of the same ground that we've been talking about uh, the past number of weeks. So rather than focusing our sermon this morning on something we've already talked about, I want to draw out some principles and applications about reminders. Because in our passage this morning, Paul is reminding the Corinthians, about their commitment to contribute to this relief effort. And we're going to be looking at Paul's reminder to the Corinthians as an example of how we can give godly reminders to others. And All of us in our different relationships at various points have to give reminders. And I don't know how you feel about giving reminders. Maybe you're a parent and you feel like all you do is just give reminders. I mean, how many times do I have to say, take your shoes off when you come into the house? Right? Or maybe you're a boss or a manager at work, and it feels like all you do is give reminders as well. I mean, how many times do I have to ask for the same monthly report? It's due on the first of the month. Last month, it's doing the first of the month this month. It'll be doing the first of the month next month. I mean, just do your job, right? Amen, amen. I got an amen on the parent one last time, but we got an amen on the work one this time, so I don't know. So however you think about reminders, maybe if you think about reminders, it's just a reminder to you about how incompetent or disrespectful or uncaring people are. Or maybe you're on the receiving end of reminders and it just feels like a bunch of nagging. Well, I want to show from our text this morning is that there is a godly way to give reminders. Now, there's more to relationships than just giving reminders, of course. Sometimes reminders don't do the job, and we have to implement consequences. But it's always good to start with reminders, because if we start with reminders and we do them in a godly way, sometimes that alleviates the need for consequences, So if you're a parent, a teacher, a boss, a manager, a friend, anyone who has to occasionally or frequently give reminders, then this sermon is for you. So here's how this sermon is going to work. First, I want to quickly walk through the text here, make sure that we understand it. Like I said, if you've been coming the last number of weeks, nothing will be uh, too unfamiliar with you. But if you haven't been coming, this is your first time, you can get brought up to speed on what's happening in chapters 8 and 9. And then I'm going to draw out three principles about reminders. And then I'm going to draw out two applications that build off of those principles. And then we'll close our sermon with communion, which is the Lord's great reminder to us. So teach the text, three principles, two reminders. Or three principles, two applications, one communion. All right, so we've kind got of three, two, one. You can kind of just follow along where we are in the sermon. You're like, it's three, two, one? Okay. All right, all right, so on to our text. Let's start with teaching the text. In nine, one, Paul says, Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. And as we've noted in past weeks, the context is an empire wide famine that has significantly imperiled the poor the saints back in Jerusalem. And Paul is organizing a relief effort. He goes around to all of his churches, particularly the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia, these Roman provinces, and he is raising support to send back to the poor in Jerusalem. And so the Corinthians have pledged to participate in this relief effort, and Paul is reminding them that he, or he's letting them know that he's on his way He's reminding them of their commitment and letting them know that he is on his way. So the ministry that Paul is talking about in 9-1 is this relief effort, and the saints that he's talking about in 9-1 are the poor back in Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, it's superfluous for me to write to you about this because I know, verse 2, that you've been ready to give since last year. In fact, you Corinthians have been so zealous to participate in this relief effort That your enthusiasm has stirred up the enthusiasm of the macedonians so paul is writing to the corinthians from macedonia and as we saw back in chapter eight early chapter uh, chapter eight there verses one through three the macedonians have been so inspired by the zeal and the enthusiasm of the corinthians that the macedonians have begged to contribute to this relief effort when they really didn't have much to give at all And Paul tried to discourage them initially, but they begged earnestly to be able to contribute to this relief effort, and they gave above and beyond their means. So in verse 3, Paul says, I thought it would be good for me to write to you so that all of our boasting about you might not prove empty, because I want you to be ready just as you said that you would be. Because otherwise, verse 4, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready to give, well, that's going to be embarrassing for both of us. So I've sent Titus and the brothers on ahead, verse 5, so they could get everything arranged so that you can all give just as you promised that you would give, and you won't have to give unwillingly or caught off guard or as an extraction, exaction. So basically, Paul doesn't want to show up in Corinth with some delegates from Macedonia, find the Corinthians wholly caught off guard and unprepared to give to the relief effort because after all of Paul's boastings about the zeal of the Corinthians to the Macedonians. If the Macedonians came after giving so sacrificially, that was going to be really awkward for everybody. So basically, Paul is reminding the Corinthians about the relief gift so they aren't caught off guard. All right, so that was teach the text. Now we go to our three principles, all right? Our first principle is this, godly reminders are necessary. Godly reminders are necessary. Two things stood out to me as I was reading this passage. First, on the one hand, Paul says that it's superfluous for him to write to the Corinthians about their participation in the relief effort. So the Greek term translated here as superfluous has the idea of excessive or abundant. So Paul is saying that his written reminder here to the Corinthians is excessive. It's a bit extra, as the kids say nowadays. And Paul says in verse 2 that he knows the Corinthians, he knows their readiness, he knows their zeal, and at the end of chapter 7, he tells them that he has complete confidence in them. So on the one hand, he has complete confidence in them, but then on the other hand, here he is writing to remind them anyway. And the fact is that he's both confident in them and writing to remind them, and that stood out to me. Why did Paul write a reminder if he already had complete confidence in them. Maybe my first thought was, well, maybe Paul didn't really mean what he said. He really wasn't being totally sincere when he said it was superfluous for him to write in advance. Or maybe he didn't really mean it when he said that he knew the readiness and zeal, or that he didn't really mean it when he said he had complete confidence in them. But I think Paul was being sincere. Back in 8, chapter 11, Paul... Encourage the Corinthians to finish the gift so that their readiness in desiring to give might be matched by their completing it. Because Paul knew that sometimes, even when we have the best of intentions, even when we have every desire to make good on our commitments, we can still get sidetracked and not follow through. So the person that we keep meaning to call and that we really do want to call, still we haven't called. Or that home project that we really want to get done and we really do want to get done still remains undone. And we all know what it's like to know that something should be done, really want to do it, and yet get sidetracked from following through on it. There's often, often, sometimes there is, but there's often no ill will in any of that. Sometimes we just need a reminder to help us get back on course or to stay on course. Some of us need less reminders than others, some of us need more, but let him who is out without need of reminder cast the first stone. Right? We all need reminders. So if you feel like I should never have to give reminders or you feel like I should never have to get reminders, just remember that we all need reminders sometimes. Even the psalmists remind the Lord of his promises. I don't know that the Lord needs reminders in the same way that we need reminders, but the point is that all of us at times need reminders. So the first principle is pretty basic. Godly reminders are, in fact, necessary. Second, godly reminders enable trustworthiness. So one might be tempted to say to Paul, listen, Paul. The Corinthians said they were going to give, and you know them to be trustworthy, and you've said so yourself, and if you really are confident in them, then what's the point of sending a reminder? But that's thinking about reminders solely in the context of uncertainty and doubt. And that might be how you think about reminders, that you primarily have to give reminders to people that you judge to be untrustworthy. But here, Paul is reminding folks who he judges to be trustworthy, in fact. And here's the key. His necessary reminder is actually enabling the Corinthians to be what they are, to be trustworthy. Paul knew that the Corinthians wanted to contribute. And he was confident that if he sent his reminder, they would indeed follow through on their commitment and thus show themselves to be trustworthy. But he worried that if he didn't send his reminder, they might get caught off guard and thus show themselves to be untrustworthy, which isn't who they really are. And he didn't want that, and he knew that they didn't want that either, so Paul gave them his reminder, not because he believed that the Corinthians were untrustworthy, but because he wanted the Corinthians to be trustworthy. He wanted the Corinthians trustworthy plant of desire to actually blossom into a trustworthy flower of obedience. And his reminder helped enable the Corinthians' trustworthiness, right? So godly reminders are necessary. Godly reminders actually help enable trustworthiness. And when you add these two principles together, you get our third principle, godly, godly reminders work best when we believe the best, Paul isn't communicating explicitly with his words or indirectly with his tone that he is full of doubts about the Corinthians. He's writing from a posture of confidence that he and the Corinthians both want the same thing. So this isn't like a finger-wagging, furrowed brow, full of doubt kind of reminding. This is a confident, smiley kind of reminding. And there's a world of difference between those two in there. When someone reminds you about something and you sense that they believe in you, you receive the reminder with gratitude, or at least it it doesn't grate on you. But when someone reminds you about something and you sense their doubt in you, or that they are already prejudging you as having failed, or you sense that they assume you don't care about whatever the issue is, the reminder often has the exact opposite effect. And kids, am I right? Am I right here? Because when we parents remind you about something as though we have no confidence in you, did you make your bed? Stay after your homework. Don't forget about your college applications. If our reminders are full of judgment and doubt, they often make our kids want to do the opposite, whatever it is that we're reminding them about, even if they've been inclined to do the thing before we reminded them. So godly reminders are necessary. Godly reminders enable trustworthiness. Godly reminders work best when we believe the best. And now we move on to our two points of application. Here's the first point of application. Give good faith reminders. So often the case that we get what we expect. If we give reminders in doubt and judgment because we believe others to be untrustworthy, people that we are reminding, we believe them to be untrustworthy, we very often create the very untrustworthiness that we're afraid of. I doubt you, and I judge you to be untrustworthy, and so I throw my reminder at you in that tone, and you can sense my doubt and judgment, and you resent it because no one likes to be doubted. And so in your resentment... You are resistant to whatever it is that I'm reminding you about and you prove yourself untrustworthy, which causes me to doubt you even more and on and on and on it goes. And this becomes a pernicious loop where bad faith reminders breed untrustworthiness, which breed resentment, which breed untrustworthiness, which breeds more bad faith reminders and we get caught in a pernicious loop. And this can especially happen with parents and children. I'm gonna focus in for a moment here on parenting, not because this sermon is about parenting or because parents are the only ones who have to give reminders, but because it's in the parent-child relationship that the points I want to make become most clear. Children, oh what I'm gonna say, and I should say too that here also as well, what I'm gonna say has relevance for all kinds of relationships, right? So for work relationships, for friendships, any kind of relationship. Anytime that we're having to give a reminder, we're sort of in that moment in the parental position, right? So that's what I'm thinking about in the context of parenting. But this applies broadly to all kinds of relationships where we have to give reminders. OK, but thinking about it in the context of parenting, children develop their sense of identity based on how their parents think of them, because kids, especially littler kids, do not have the resources to create their own sense of identity. So despite what our culture tells us at various points, I can't know who I am or what I exist for when I'm five years old, except that my parents tell me and inform me. And children need their parents' opinions to help them navigate all of life, including navigating their own sense of self. So parents, if you think your kids are rotten, guess what? That's what they'll become. Because they're drawing their sense of self from your sense of their self. And how we remind them about things is all wrapped up in this. When we remind our kids from a posture of doubt and judgment, they hear our doubt and judgment, and then they receive our reminder as a negative assessment of what we think of them. And as we treat them with doubt and judgment, they often become our doubt and judgment, which only provokes more doubt and judgment, and on and on the pernicious loop goes. And this works the same way, though perhaps not as dramatically, but it works the same way in all relationships. If we issue bad faith reminders, we often get bad faith, remind, get bad faith responses. But if we issue good faith reminders, we often get good faith in return. Very often, not always, but often, when I act towards you with confidence and give you a good faith reminder, even if I'm not entirely sure that you deserve it, but I give you the benefit of the doubt and I give you a good faith reminder, often that inspires you. You feel affirmed and you want to prove yourself trustworthy. And when you act then with trustworthiness, it becomes easier for me to act with confidence towards you the next time that I need to remind you about something so that my next reminder is more easily given as a good faith reminder, which makes you feel more affirmed, and on and on it goes, and not a pernicious loop that takes us down, but a beneficent loop that takes us up. So parents, pastors, bosses, managers, friends, nothing wrong with reminding people to follow through on their commitments. We all need reminders now and again. And reminders actually are gifts. They enable trustworthiness. But when we're giving our reminders, we should do so in good faith, believing the best in the people that we're reminding. So that's our first point of application. We should give good faith reminders. But what do we do if we are doing our best to give good faith reminders but the person we're reminding just constantly keeps dropping the ball. How do we keep our reminders from becoming judgmental and nagging? If we're giving good faith reminders and the person keeps dropping the ball, is there anything else we can do besides just moving to consequences? Are our only, con- are our only options nagging in judgment or consequences? I think there's more that we can still do to continue giving a good faith reminder. And that leads to our second point of application, give God faith reminders. Now, everything I've said up to this point in the sermon has, I pray, been true. It's from the Bible. But this is nothing that you couldn't have gotten from a good secular therapist. There's nothing inherently gospel about any of it. Reminders are necessary. Reminders enable trustworthiness. Reminders work best when we believe the best. And even our first point of application, that we should give good faith reminders. All those you can get from a good secular therapist. But this last point of application, I think, is where we get to the gospel. A gospel application. Because sometimes good faith reminders don't work, and then what do we do? How do we approach people with good faith reminders when our experience of them has been them only acting ever in bad faith? How do we believe the best when our experience of them tells us otherwise? Well, ultimately, our good faith towards others doesn't come from others, doesn't come from our faith in them, it comes from our faith in God. Our ability to have a positive, confident posture towards others doesn't come from our confidence in others. It comes from our confidence in God. If you're in a bad cycle with one of your kids or an employee or a friend, whoever it might be, one of your relationships, and all of your reminders have soured into nags, to nagging, the way to break the cycle is not fundamentally By believing the best in your kid or your friend or your employee or whoever. But by believing the best in God. So think with me for a moment. Hopefully you have been thinking with me for the last 20 minutes or so. And if you haven't, this is the time to start thinking with me. Again, I want to use the example of parenting because I think it helps to make the case or to draw the point most clearly. But we can apply this then to all of our relationships. But when, when my parental nagging, my parent, sorry, let me say this, later. let will try this again. When my parental reminders, my parental reminders turn into nagging or judgment, what's going on with that? What's at the heart of that? I need or I want my kid to do something, parents do, and if I don't get it, I believe something bad will happen. But something bad will happen to who? To my kid? Or to me? Our bad faith reminders are driven by fear and anxiety for ourselves. So it's true with Parenting and their children, that our lives are bound up in our kids. And their poor choices don't just affect them, they also affect us. And so when we see our kids making or about to make a poor choice, we get anxious and fearful. And we're tempted to move towards our kids with nagging or judgment. But that nagging and that judgment isn't for our child's sake. That's for our sake. Insofar as we are giving reminders, that's for their sake. But insofar as the reminders have become nagging and judgment, that's for our sake. Our reminders turn into nagging and judgment because we're afraid. But wait, let's just wait. Think about the gospel. What if right before we spoke, right before we gave our next reminder, we took a deep breath and we remembered that the Lord held our kid in his hands and that he holds us in his hands and that we don't have to be afraid because no matter what happens in this situation, the Lord is still loving me. He's still loving my kid. He's still taking care of us. What if I fully embraced God's care for me in Christ? Not just in the big spiritual things like heaven and hell, but in all the little things too. What if I really could cast all of my cares and anxieties on Him because He cared for me? How different would that make my reminders sound? Because what if my calm and open-hearted posture towards my kids didn't depend upon my kids' performance? What if it depended upon the Lord's performance? So yes, reminders are necessary. We have to give them. And yes, reminders enable trustworthiness. They can be gifts. And yes, reminders work best when we believe the best, And we should give reminders in good faith. But if there's one thing that matters most in all of this, we should give reminders with faith in God. Faith that the Lord loves us, that the Lord is taking care of us, that the Lord cares about our burdens and our anxieties. So the next time you are anxious in your heart that your five-year-old has not made their bed, and you have anxiety, the Lord cares about that. The Lord cares about your anxiety. He cares about the things that you care about. And because He cares about them, He is working all things together for good. And so you can be at peace knowing that He loves you and is looking out for you, and He's looking out for your kids. And so when you come with your reminder, as you inevitably have to do, you don't have to give that reminder out of fear, or anxiety, or own self-defense, but you can give your reminder as a gift to your child, to your friend, to your co-worker, to your employee, whoever it is. Paul didn't nag the Corinthians. He didn't guilt the Corinthians. He didn't need to. But it wasn't because he had such unshaking confidence in the Corinthians go back and you read through 1 Corinthians and even parts of 2 Corinthians, and there's a lot of things there that could shake one's confidence if you were an apostle trying to preach the gospel to these people. But he didn't approach them with doubt. He didn't approach them with guilt or judgment or nagging because he was confident that no matter what happened, God was in control and taking care of him. God was in control and taking care of the situation back in Jerusalem. And Paul could release all of that concern and regard to the Lord, and he could just give these reminders as blessings to the saints there in Corinth. Now, like I said at the beginning of the sermon, sometimes it takes more than reminders. Sometimes Paul and the Lord and parents and employers do have to step in at times with consequences, but the Lord doesn't reach for consequences right away. Not until he has first tried to break the pernicious loop with good faith reminders. So as you give reminders to others, give the benefit of the doubt. And above all, be reminded as you give reminders that God loves you and is taking care of you. And that no matter what, you don't have to give reminders out of fear and anxiety and that brings us then to the lord's table and the great good faith reminder that he gives to all of his people perhaps i don't know how you think about communion right so we take communion the first sunday of every month we do it regularly more so through advent and lent it's liturgical seasons but I don't know how you think about communion when it's Communion Sunday and you come and you see the elements on the table before you. Maybe maybe you're tempted to think of the Lord's table as the Lord's nagging and judgmental reminder towards you about your sin and the price that I had to pay to get your life cleaned up as though we gather around the Lord's table each month so he can point us towards our failures and our sins. And yes, the Lord's table is a reminder about our failures and our sins. He didn't die on the cross for his sin. It was our sin that put him on the cross. But the Lord's table doesn't simply proclaim our sin and the Lord's death. It's one of the passages that's often read over communion, it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, earlier writing to the church in Corinth, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. How's that finished? Do you know? I heard murmur, murmur, and I heard the right answer over here. (laughs) Yeah. Until he comes. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because the... Savior that we celebrate at the communion table is not just a crucified Savior. He is the risen Savior, the ascended Savior, and He is coming again. He is alive. And as we gather around this table every month to be reminded of our risen Savior, we are reminded that the Savior that we celebrate, that we are one with, is greater than our sins and our failures. That His life was not only given for us on the cross, but was raised for us. And we participate with Him in His resurrection. And that we live because He lives inside of us. That's what the whole point of communion is. One of the main functions of the symbolism of communion is that we are eating the sign. We are taking into us the life of Christ. And we live because He lives. And so the Lord's confidence in us is not his confidence in ourselves, but his confidence of him in us. He is our hope and our confidence and our resurrection. It's his life inside of us that causes him to be confident in us. He believes in us because he believes in himself. So be reminded this morning that the Lord loves you. The Lord cares for you. He is watching over you. And that even as he reminds you at this table of his union with you, he reminds you with confidence because of the confidence that he has in himself. So the Lord might have some things he wants to remind you about this morning. Things that you should do different commitments you've made that you've let slide, things that you really do want to get after, and he's gently bringing a reminder to you, but it's a good faith reminder because he believes in the power of his own resurrection life that's inside of you. So he doesn't come to you with judgment. He doesn't come to you with nagging. He certainly does not come to you with anxiety and fear. He comes to you in love and confidence. Receive this reminder this morning as a reminder of the Lord's love, his confident posture towards you. We're going to distribute the elements in a moment. If you are a believer in Christ and you have uh, trusted in Christ alone for your salvation and you are part of the people of God, then this is a reminder for you. If you are not a believer this morning... We ask that you would respectfully let this, uh, the elements pass as they are distributed, um, out of respect for what this means for us as believers. But I would invite you as well, even as a non-Christian, to think about the invitation that God extends to you in Christ. He wants to welcome you into his family, to put his life inside of you, so that you can have the confidence that he has in himself, not only for the life to come, but also For this life. So, we're going to distribute the elements here in a moment. We'll ask all of us to hold them together. But let me pray for us, and then I'll invite the servers to come forward. Father, thank you that you have given us Christ, who is the great reminder to us of your love for us. And that you give him to us not with a scowl on your face or frustration, there's no judgment in your reminders. But that you give us Christ freely and with love. God, I thank you that you do remind us at times and with things that we have committed to do and we lose track of and you want to bring us back to, but thank you that you don't remind us with judgment. God, I thank you too that sometimes, even when you have to step in with consequences, if it comes to it, you do that too, but even that you don't do with judgment. God, we thank you that you love us, that you care for us, And that you believe in us, not because of us, but you believe in us because of the power of your own risen life. So help us, Lord, as we partake of this table to connect with you and to meet with you in whatever ways you want us to. We pray this in Jesus' name.